Welcome to the Fifth Estate. They bring you the story. We bring you the truth. The Fifth Estate is the news behind the headlines, holding those in power in check. And now, with the real story, here's Cameron Blewett. Good evening, Victoria. Oh, thank you for joining me here on this, what are we up to, episode 58 of the Fifth Estate podcast. A bit to rant about tonight, so uh, I think I'm just going to head straight into it. Now, first cab off the rank is the Police Union, uh, Police Association of Victoria has, uh, what they would say, issued their list of demands uh, for those who, uh, what, was it, what did they say? basically out to the uh, Liberal and Labor Party about what they want to have uh, achieved within the four years of government and all that sort of stuff. So uh, I, I thought I'd just actually start with this before I get into the comments on it. So uh, where are we? Scroll up here. Let's have a listen to this. Nope. Wrong button. Here we go. Let's try again. The pandemic changed policing. If you saw the pictures I saw of police officers copping bottles to the face and bricks to their head, those sorts of things would not be acceptable on any workplace in Victoria. Now, I've rented about it before and I think I'd say it again. Well, let's make it clear. Violence towards anyone is totally unacceptable. Now, uh, for those throwing bottles and all that sort of stuff and bricks and, and whatever else... Uh, is he a sergeant, uh, Gat, or the um, has muttered about for that? That is totally unacceptable. And also something else that is totally unacceptable is the the way the Victoria Police has responded to everything in this lockdown over the last two years. Now, I'm sure we all remember the footage of um, people being profiled by uh Critical Incident Response Team, the Special Operations Group and the Public Order Response Team uh, going through the city targeting people because they're wearing high-vis jackets. We've seen uh, footage of these well-armed and well-protected and uh, sufficiently numbered individuals uh, kneeing um, people on that are on the ground, seeing one sticking the rifle muzzle jabbing someone in the back or the ribs of it. We've seen people get uh, tear gassed, pepper sprayed. We've seen uh, flashbangs uh, thrown down the streets of Melbourne. Now, that is also unacceptable. So until you can get your members in line, I don't think that you deserve one extra pe- – actually, no, I don't think you deserve any money at all. And this is the thing. Until you weed out the crap within your organisation, and I'm talking both sides, I'm talking about the in your association as well as in the Victoria Police Force, until you weed out that crap, I don't think that you're able – that you should come and make any demands of any political party who is going to be voted – into or out of government by Victorians. Now, uh, this is the thing. Let's have a look at the list of demands. So uh, according to the Herald Sun, 59 key priorities to be implemented over the next four years. The wish list compiled by Police Association Secretary Wayne Gatt includes Victoria recording response times in the same way as other states and every police car being equipped with 
drug testing capabilities. Now, one of the things that he does crap on about is that he wants everyone to have right every um, you know frontline officer to have riot gear. Well, actually, let's wind things back a bit and let's go back to what was it? Peel's uh, principles. Policing. Um, just go, I was going to look for that before. Um, so this is the thing. Uh, Sir Robert Peel, he was, who was he? Uh, someone around ages ago. Uh, he did, you know, created these things to define a uh, an ethical police force. So what it is, it was developed by Sir Robert Peel and according to Wikipedia... A British conservative statement who served twice as Prime Minister of the United Kingdom, simultaneously serving as Chancellor to the Exeter and twice as Home Secretary. So uh, I would say he's fairly switched on. Uh, so the principles. So there's nine principles, and these principles are to prevent crime and disorder as an alternative to their repression by military force and severity of legal punishment. So when Victoria Police is obviously... Uh, you know, disregarding that one because they are acting like they're repressing things by military force and severity of legal punishment, as we've seen the issuing of, of what was it, $300 fine for not wearing a face diaper and uh, how many thousands for um, breaching curfews and the chose directions and all that sort of crap. Uh, number two, to recognise all ways that the power of the police to fulfil their functions and duties is dependent on public approval of their existence, actions and behaviour and on their ability to secure and maintain public respect. Now, I think that, once again, over the last two years, that Victoria Police have absolutely disregarded that. They have done nothing to maintain public respect in the last two years. Um, Number three, to recognise always that to secure and maintain the respect and approval of the public means also the securing of the willing cooperation of the public in the task of securing obedience of laws. Um, you know, I think I'll just read them and just have a round a bit later. Uh, number four, to recognise always that the extent to which the cooperation of the public can be secured it diminishes proportionately the necessity of the use of physical force and compulsion for achieving police objectives. Number five, to seek and preserve public favour, not by pandering to public opinion, but by constantly demonstrating absolute impartial service to law in complete obedience of policy, uh, independence of policy, and without regard to the justice or injustice of the substance of individual laws. By ready offering of individual service and friendship to all members of the public without regard to their wealth or social standing, by ready exercise of courtesy and good a friendly good humour and by offering of individual sacrifice in protecting and preserving life. Number six, to use physical force only when the exercise of persuasion, advice and warning is found to be insufficient to obtain public cooperation to an extent necessary to secure the observance of law or to restore order and to only use the minimum degree of physical force which is necessary on any particular occasion for achieving a police objective. Number seven, to maintain at all times a relationship with the public that gives reliability to the historic tradition that the police are the public and that the public are the police, the police being only members of the public who are paid to give full-time attention to duties which are incumbent on every citizen in the interest of community welfare and existence. Number eight, to recognise always the need for strict adherence to police executive functions and to refrain from seeming to usurp the power of the judiciary of avenging individuals of the state and of authoritatively judging guilt and punishing the guilty. 
Number nine, to recognise always that the test of police efficiency is the absence of crime and disorder, not the visible evidence of police action in dealing with them. Now, uh, that, I I think, over the last two years, Victoria Police have absolutely ignored all of them and that starts with the police minister who was Lisa Neville uh, for the time that she was there and and I've got no idea who it is now. I'm not even going to worry about uh, trying to remember their name. And then it started, you know, from from the police minister down to Shane Patton, who's the commish, all the way down of any sworn, um, uh, what are they? Commissioned officer. Uh, I think that they all need to get back to that. They, as I said, their wish list is just that. You can make it as a wish list as much as you want. So anyway, going back to what I was saying is that, yes, he wants uh, riot gear in every vehicle, uh, lifelong counselling for all members. Um, you know what? Why? Why? Why Why do they deserve it? Or why should they be entitled to it more than anyone else? Uh, so I think that... If it comes to it, that it's, let's say, if it relates to a workplace injury, then go for the accident compensation schemes that's relevant to them. I'm not sure. I think Victoria Police are self-insured or whatever they use for their uh, work cover insurance. Um, What else? Get rid of the injecting room, which I agree with. Um, what police wants? Response times, injecting room, police stations. It says more than 40% of its members do not consider the station that they work in to be fit for purpose, citing overcrowding and inf- insufficient IT infrastructure as key issues. Well, you know what? I think maybe wind down the police force. Do you need that many people out there? Um, so um, drug testing. Uh, to help decrease the road toll associated with drug drivers, the associate, uh, the organisation is calling for every police car to be suitably equipped to test uh, to drug test drivers. The number of fatal collisions and injury collisions involving drugs across Victoria have both doubled in the last ten years. The union says. Now, remember, when you're driving a vehicle, this is the only uh, one of the things where there's a reverse onus of proof is that you have to prove that you're innocent before the Crown and the police are allegedly acting on behalf of the Crown. Uh, so as I said, uh, rather than the Crown prove that you're guilty. And you have to prove your innocent by su- innocence by submitting to one of their roadside tests. Now, if you refuse a test, you can be arrested for refusing it and you will get tested anyway. Um, so, yes, it's... <sighs> It's the thing, I'd, I'd like to see the road rules changed um, for that, but hey, you know what, this is the where the money comes from for the state government, so they're not going to change that. Uh, going on to frontline safety, I uh, recommend general duties members are urgently equipped with suitable protect, personal protective equipment that sufficiently mitigates the predictable risk of injury at violent demonstrations. Now, this is the thing, so... How much of the the violence that we saw? Now, I'm, I'm excluding the uh, professional protesters who will be there, uh, excluding the uh, potential plants or the potential, uh, what do they call it, agent provocateur uh, within those 
protest, etc., etc., because, you know, if it happens overseas and, and it's happened interstate, you know, I can guarantee you it's going to happen out here. So excluding all of them, most of the violence that I saw was actually initiated by Victoria Police and that includes either the massive show of force, the being armed when you're on the front line. So you are going, you know, you're doing crowd control and you've actually got your sidearm there. So they are armed. Now, anyone else can't, you know, Joe Blow, who, if he does have a weapons licence, is not allowed to go armed in public. Security officers are not allowed to go armed in public, uh, obviously, unless they're, they're doing the relevant task. Is crowd control duties, does that warrant the issuing of a sidearm? I doubt it very much um, because if there is an instance where the uh, member needs to use his sidearm, well, I think there'd be a lot bigger dramas than than that because something's just gone to shit somewhere. Uh, so yes, you know the the so yeah, there's the use of force there. They've fired tear gas. They've sent. Uh, special operations group, they've sent the public order response team, they've sent the critical incident response team out there rather than just having, you know, letting these guys go. Uh, most of the, actually I didn't see any violence directed towards uh, any other uh, personal property apart from potentially and, you know, what they would say is, uh, responding to the violence that was displayed towards them. Now, as I said, I'm not making any excuses for it. I'm not condoning either side from their acts of violence. Uh, I think that the whole lot needs to be looked at and that uh, Patton Down needs to resign. I think the police association need to resign. They need to lose their pensions because the association could have turned around to Patton at the after the first protest and said, no, I'm not send- we're not sending our members out there. If you want this done, you get Department of Health to do it. The you know They could have turned around and said, no, Victoria Police are not going to be in the enforcement arm of the state. Yet they've decided that that's what they're going to do. So as, as far as I'm concerned, the, the budget should be wound back for Victoria Police, get rid of the air wing unless it's absolutely you know justified. Uh, doing nightly patrols during lockdown is not justified. Uh, flying, you know, having three helicopters and what is, I think there's two fixed wing aircraft. Uh, why do we need three helicopters? Why? You know, what, what's the reason for it? And is this just for surveillance? And the other thing on that too is that the, is it the, the grey one? Uh, I'm not sure, can't remember what the registration number on that one is, but that seems to be hidden from, uh, what do I have? I have Flight Radar 24. Can't find its tracks. You you can't find the route that the route that it takes. You can't find where it's going, where it's been, or anything like that. Yet these, you know, these apps are, are pretty good for every other aircraft. Yet for some reason, the police aircraft. What makes them so special? Oh, but they might be doing something tactical. Well, no. If it's something that's going to be tactical, isn't that bordering on having a military force? And if you're bordering on having a military force, that also makes it potentially unconstitutional. So from that aspect, if you need to do something tactical, get the army out. And we know what would happen if that was the case. So 
Uh, this is the thing. Not don't want to rant about that one too much more, but yeah, it, it's the thing. I think until uh, the secretary of the association turns around and cleans up the force, I don't think that the police union should get one extra cent in anything. Um, regardless of, of whatever you think it is, I actually also think that their budget should be cut. Uh, what else was there? Oh, he's a sergeant. There you go. What police want an ejecting room, police station, cyber... Oh, they want something for cybercrime. Um, drug testing. Frontline safety support. Ah, uh, yeah, there we go. Um, so that, but yeah, anyway, um, I, I don't think that they're entitled to anything. Um, I think that, um, you know, the relevant leadership within Victoria Police took the knee for the um, BLM protests and yet they turned out with, um, you know, riot gear to protest in Victoria about how the regime was doing it. And, and this is the thing is that, uh, you know, you turn around and say, oh, but it's only a couple of bad apples. Well, what's wrong with the police, within the police force, from arresting or charging those bad apples to clean up and make it public, to clean up the police force that they're all members of and that they supposedly hold in such high regard? And case in point, the officer in this area who um, hit a mental health patient uh, with his car and then proceeded to stomp on his head. The, I think it was a senior constable or whoever it was that spear tackled or picked up and, and rammed his head into the ground in, uh, was it Spencer Street Station? Uh, the five coppers who killed, um, what's his name? can't remember the guy's name, but there was a, a, another mental health person. He said they went into his home and they bashed his head against the kitchen table and that it was something that happened with that, but the, the banging of the head on the kitchen table ended up killing him, doing something that, that resulted in his death. Now, uh, if I can find it, I will include that in the show notes, but there's that instance there. How many other instances are there where these people do things, oh, it's in the line of, of the duty, you know, Operational duties. Well, let's call bullshit. Um, you know what? No, I, I don't think it is. And, and, and as I said, until Sergeant Gat can clean up the police force, I don't think he should be entitled to one extra cent from anyone. And that goes if it has to, if he has to resign himself or he has to turn around and say no or vote of no confidence in whatever leadership or whatever needs to be done. But Victoria Police needs to be done. Either that or, hey, Let's open it up to competition. Why should Victoria Police be the ones that have the monopoly on violence in this state? And, and this is what the police force is. The police force is uh, the, the yes, the, the police force is the um, enforcement arm of the state. So if if law and order is such a high thing as you know you're trying to make it uh, pretend it to be and keeping people safe, let's open it. Remove any qualified immunity that these officers have and let them lose their house, let them lose their home, let them lose their pensions and super and, and whatever else that they have if they do something wrong. So this is the thing. This is let's, let's put your money where your mouth is. 
if you want all these things because you say you want to keep us safe, let's turn around and show us how you're going to do it. And the first way to do that is turn around and remove qualified immunity, saying, yes, our officers will put their houses on their line. They will put their livelihoods on the line to keep you safe. If we stump up, we will be held accountable for it. And that's never going to happen. Second thing, open it up to competition. Let's have private police running around and see what happens then and, and, and make these ones accountable. So anyway, going to get off that little soapbox before I start ranting too much more. So what's next on this? Ah, speaking of that, um, where is it? Something that popped up on Twitter today. On the train to the city and ticket inspectors are asking people to mask up and handing out masks to those who don't have one. Not handing out fines, just giving away masks. The carriage has gone from half mask to full mask real quick. Thanks, Dan. Now, really? So think about it. Um, what's that other disease that's running around the state at the moment? And yet they're still obsessing with uh, putting face diapers on people that don't really need to wear them. Uh, so, yeah, I think it's it's something that does need to be looked at there's um yeah it, it's the the response uh is is pointless i think the obsession with covid we know anyone with with any feet or foot or grip no matter how tenuous on reality knows that once the election's gone if the Labor Party maintains power and the Supreme Leader is still the Supreme Leader, that we're going to be in lockdown. There's going to be so many bullshit draconian measures come out that it's not going to be fun for anyone. Uh, so the only thing that's, this, that's um, keeping us out of that is the fact that there's an election and Supreme Leader Andrews doesn't want the science to be questioned in an election year. Uh, he just wants his word to be that. Oh no, I you know, and and this is he still hasn't released the science. Uh, so yeah, this is the thing. It's it's just like, mate. I think let's get rid of this COVID hysteria. Um, yeah, and and just move on with life. Um, what else is there? Okay. Oh, speaking of election years and all that sort of stuff. Um, the voice for Victoria, okay, there we go, Leo, Leonardo Puglisi, uh, who does, what does he do, Channel 6 News or whatever it is, uh, the uh, YouTube channel, uh, and live streamer turns around and says that Morgan Jonas is going to be running for Southeast Metro region, so that's the upper house region in Victorian state election. Uh, voice Victoria uh, tweeted, so Jonas has chosen to directly pit himself against David Limbrick at the election. Good luck with that strategy. Now, um, I thought, yep, with uh, Libs have Liberal Democrats having Drury on the payroll, so he's a preferences whisperer, that may be pointless. And then I said, so then again, it might come down to whether people want to vote for someone who buys a spot on the red leather or works for it. Uh, so that's the thing. Is, that's the possibility there. But then, unfortunately, and and this 
This is an interesting one in the reply that one of the only people in the Freedom Party choosing to directly challenge the most well-known libertarian MP in the state may be the dumbest strategy possible, limbrick or not. Now, oh, sorry, jury or not. Now, I know I've said it before in uh, previous episodes, I don't quite think that David Limbrick's as libertarian as everyone makes him out to be. Um, I, The way that I interpret what he says, I think he has more uh, socialistic or socialist tendencies than libertarian uh, leanings. So, but anyway, that's just my interpretation of it and I, I, it just comes across in the way he talks and everything like that. So um, I wouldn't quite go so far as saying that he's one of the most well-known libertarian MPs in the state. Um, so, yeah, but anyway, uh, moving right along with that. Uh, now, uh, did check up. Uh, Limbrick got, I think, 0.8% of the primary vote in 2018, so I don't know what he's going to get this time around. Um, across the state, the Liberal Democratic vote uh, didn't work out that well the Senate federally, so I'm not sure how that's going to work um, in the state. I think the Liberal Democrats may have a bit more of a uh, a higher profile or be able to get better seats out in the regions outside of, of the metros area and, you know, southeast metro, obviously it's, it's a very city-based area, so I don't think that he may, you know, he may or he may not, but, you know, it, it, it's a thing. It's hard to tell, you know, after the last two years, everything's changed. So you can't historically go along with what happened at previous elections and use that as, as a flow on or as an indicator of what will happen with this one. So um, he got 0.8%. Uh, he could get more. He could get in in his own right. Um, you know, and, and get quota or 4% of the vote, uh, primary vote, he may not too. Uh, also adding to that is that's uh, where Adam Somerick is. So there's the Somerick factor about him. Uh, he may pick up a lot of the primary vote there. So if the primary vote is split between uh, Somerick, the ALP and the Liberal Party, then there may not be enough left over for Jonas and Limbrick as well. So... Uh, we'll just have to wait and see uh, and do a bit of a discussion, dissection. Uh, once the dust settles in, it'll be probably by December, uh, once everything's come out and all the, all the uh, stats and all that sort of stuff are, are done. So, you know, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Uh, and finally, I think there's, there's too much of... Um, a focus being put on what happened with, uh, where are we? The Scott Morrison and the, you know, his thing to appoint himself uh, in a position to administer the different portfolios. Now, interestingly here, uh, Craig Kelly did a tweet. Isn't the Governor-General meant to safe, to be a constitutional safeguard? Isn't the Governor-General meant to be totally transparent? Isn't the Governor-General meant to stand up against any possible unlawful acts of government ministers? More questions. Now, this is based or, or due in response to 
a Canberra Times article saying Governor-General David Hurley should resign over Scott Morrison's portfolio uh, revelations. Uh, it will be, and the article starts off with, it will be surprising if constitutional lawyers find that the Governor-General acted lawfully in appointing Scott Morrison, former Prime Minister, to several portfolios already held by other ministers. Now, I think that you could argue that he didn't act lawfully if the uh, Prime Minister was sworn into them, though having an administerial appointment, uh, I think that that changes it a bit. Um, and, you know, understanding I'm not a constitutional lawyer or anything like that, so these, you know, there, there's bound to be people on ice either side or, or both sides that want to have their say and will have uh, different opinions on things. Um, but when it comes down to it, there's nothing in... Remember, and, and this is to, to get back to it, what we have to remember is that the Prime Minister is simply a, a Minister of State, just the same as the Finance Minister, Education Minister, whatever other minister you've got. It's only through convention, not constitution, that Australia has a Prime Minister. Otherwise, the uh, Parliament or the Executive would be informed by ministers who should, and I've mentioned this before and, and you know pointed it out and um, got on my soapbox about it, is that ministers of state should come from outside of Parliament and that... Uh, these ministers of state should form the executive which informs parliament to make relevant decisions, etc., etc. Now, that being said, as I said, the prime minister is only a minister of state, has no extra authority to do anything as per the constitution. The authority that that has or, or that is given to the prime minister comes from additional legislation. But constitutionally, there is no difference between the role of Prime Minister and the role of Finance Minister, Treasurer, Attorney General, etc., etc. And, that, you know, in so much as that they can hold multiple portfolios, they can be sworn into different things, as we've seen with, uh, you know, different ministers where, uh, you know, are ministers for this and ministers for that and, and whatever else. So they have multiple portfolios there and they're sworn in as ministers uh, as per the Constitution. Now, appointing one to administer the portfolio, that's a little bit different. There's no constitutional mention in that. So, uh, you know, it is, you know, constitutionally lawful or legal or able to be done as per that. So I think that, you know, we need to acknowledge that whilst it may not look good, there wasn't anything wrong with it. Now, and now remember... All these people jumping up and down about what um, the former Prime Minister is doing or has done are the same ones that, that haven't said a word or majority of them are the same ones that haven't said a word about how the relevant premiers, whether it's uh, Supreme Leader Andrews in Victoria with his state of emergency legislation, state of disaster legislation, etc., etc., have uh, done substantially worse. Whereas, you know, with the... Uh, state of disaster legislation. It's on the books and it was called uh, when was it? late last year or up to March last year and then even before with the bushfires, um, the state of disaster is effectively suspending all legislation because 
the Premier, uh, once it's called, the Police Minister can choose to accept or ignore any legislation that they want to. Now, that's something that should be removed from the books, uh, same as the pandemic declaration. I don't think that the Premier should be in a position to... And remember, even in Victoria, the Premier is there through convention, not constitution, because our system of government does not recognise a Premier. Um, you know, And they're there voted by... They're simply the leader of the party that has control in the lower house. So it's not something that's voted for by the public, uh, as is like in the US, so the, the um, Prime Minister, uh, President, um, and even governors in different states. So, you know, this is the thing, is that why should uh, the Premier in Victoria in particular, Daniel Andrews, have the power to make a pandemic declaration and then, oh, you know what, I'll make that de- pandemic declaration. So that means that my minister, the Minister for Health, can make whatever decisions he wants. Now, you tell me that the Minister of Health isn't going to turn around and say, oh, sorry, Mr Premier, what do you want me to do? Do you want me to say that the people have to stay home between 9 and 5 or, or can they go out? Do you want me to say that they, they, they can't go and see their loved ones in hospital or, or, or is that all right this time? Or... Oh, how about going, the kids going to the playground? Do you want me to keep them out? Or because, you know what, you know, you know how that virus spreads outside uh, for that. So, you know what, I think it would be political suicide for the Minister for Health to go against the wishes of the Premier when the Premier is the one who made the pandemic declaration that gives all these superpowers to the Minister. And, and I mean, shit, man, we've had a look at Martin Foley. I mean, like... Yeah, I don't think he's able to form an original thought from the time that I've seen him in Parliament over these last couple of years. Uh, Everything has been just, he's been coached in the background on what to say and everything like that. So if you can't tell me that that Dan Andrews isn't running this state as de facto ruler, well, then I'll go here. Um, So, yes, so this is the thing, Um, you know, yeah. If the spotlight needs to be shone on to the uh, actions of the former Prime Minister, then I think the spotlight needs to be shone on to the actions of all the relevant state premiers and chief ministers for the territories on how they've behaved over the last couple of years and what they've done to uh, override the rule of law, etc., uh, etc. Et so, so, yeah, and I mean... As I've said before, this is just a distraction. It shows it, it's just to keep us shifted away from the rise of the cost of living and the fact that, you know, the, the country is going to shit. Uh, we've got a party in power that has no idea what they're doing, um, you know, and, and we're going to be beholden to their uh, Marxist ideas and everything like that. So. Anyway, time people, time to to stop uh, being being distracted by things that happened last term. Uh, yeah, last term for the prime minister, and focus on what the current regime is doing and how they're doing it and what they're going to do to improve our uh, standard of living in this state. So, anyway. That is about it for this one, a bit of a short episode. I might try and do uh, episodes around the half-hour mark rather than big hour-long rants, and I might, might, you know, when it comes to it, might do a couple a night, but then again, I might not, or just have to wait and see what happens. So anyway, um, thanks for listening uh, to this 
uh, episode 58 of the Fifth Estate Podcast. My name's Cameron Blewett and until you join us for the next one, thanks for listening and bye for now. To this episode of the Fifth Estate, the news behind the headlines. Until the next episode of the Fifth Estate releases, we'd love for you to leave a review wherever you go to for quality podcasts. And we'll keep holding those in power in check.